Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by our special guest speaker. All right, well, you know what we're going to do this morning? We're going to do part two. And before we get, before we move on to the new stuff this morning, um, what I want to do is uh, I want to kind of give a brief backdrop in case you weren't in the building two weeks ago. Uh, but before I go over that, um, I just want to tell you about my morning this morning. <laughs> and I feel like anytime I have a word from the Lord, like an anointed word, hopefully it's going to be anointed and I don't just like, you know, just, just, just fail miserably this morning in delivering this. But anytime I feel like I have a word, it just seems like if it can go wrong, it'll go wrong. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I mean, I think a lot of the problems that we go through are self-inflicted. I mean, but I got my seven-year-old a basset hound puppy for her birthday. So I was up at five o'clock in the morning, couldn't go back to bed because we're trying to crate training. And it's literally, he's just whining. And it is the loudest howl from a hound I've ever heard, you know? And I'm like, man, I have to speak and I just wanna rest a little bit longer. And that didn't work. And then I made myself a smoothie and I dropped it in the shower. There goes my breakfast. And then I handed my wife my phone and then she fumbles it. It hits the toilet and it was about a centimeter away from going in there and I hadn't transferred my notes to this because this only has about 25 to 30 minutes of charge. So. That was my morning, hallelujah. But how many of you guys know that Jesus is on the throne? Jesus is on the throne, hallelujah. Okay, so what we went over last week is I talked about addiction. Everyone say addiction. Addiction is something that we all go through. It's something that we all deal with. It's something that we all struggle with. But the problem with, especially with Western culture, is we notice the cocaine addict, the person that spends most of their life in the bar, you know, the person that is addicted to opiates, prescription pain medication, the person maybe that has literally squandered away their whole life and maybe they're walking on Cherry Street, Magnolia Street, homeless. And we, when we typically think of addiction, we, our mind goes to drugs, to drug addicts, to alcoholics. But that's not just what addiction has to do with. Those people have the same hollow place that many of us, all of us in this building have. All of us have that hollow place. And what, what we talked about last week is, you know, unfortunately, some addictions, you know, tell on us more than other addictions. You know, the drug addict, you know, he, once he spends his life and his money, you know, and his energy, you know, he's gonna lose weight, he's gonna look emaciated. you know what I'm saying? But then there's people in here that we have sophisticated addictions. We have addictions that are hidden. We have addictions that culture applauds us for. Make the money. Spend all your time in the church building. But we can be addicted to ministry just like we're addicted to drugs and alcohol. And the thing is, there is a good addiction to ministry. And it's if we do things from love and not for love. All right, so Amanda, let's just, let's put the, the different types of addictions. So we went over substance use disorder. That's what I talked about briefly this morning. 
that has to do with various substances, drugs and alcohol. And then we have sex addiction, and that is where the act of sex, the, the carnality, the physical sensuality of the experience of sex, that's what someone is going after. They want to feel good, they want to reach climax, and then they're going to move on to the next person. But sex and love addiction, can you say sex and love addiction? Come on, everyone say sex and love addiction. Sex and love addiction is also called codependency. And this is something that I think a lot of us go through. And I'm gonna take a few brief moments after I just go through these real quick and I wanna kinda camp out there and we're gonna move on to the new stuff. And then we have shopping, impulsive spending addiction. We talked about starting a small group for all the men of God in here that have to, you know, uh, deal with their anger and their feelings and emotions when they're having four to five Amazon packages come in every day. Men of God, how many of you want to start a small group, you know? It's like where we go around and, you know, share our experiences and our stories with other men of God that, you know, their bank account keeps going lower and lower and lower and lower. And you know that green bin that's outside of your house? You know how, like, the lid, it it won't close because you've got 37 Amazon packages in there. So there is such thing as a spending addiction, all right? And there's gambling addiction, there's food addiction, there's exercise addiction, Uh uh-oh, there's social media addiction, right? I mean, you guys, at the end of your week, look at your screen time. You guys, if it's over five to six hours a day, you're addicted, you're addicted. Did you know that every time you look at a picture and you count your likes, or when you wake up in the morning and you, you, you search your feed or you open it up and you see different people that have commented, did you know that releases dopamine? Did you know that that gives you the same type of feeling that some foods like sugar and even some types of drug and alcohol gives you the, the moment that you put it in your mouth? is it releases dopamine. I promise you that this is going to be in what we call the DSM-5. That's a, that's a manual of uh, addicted behaviors that a lot of us go through. And then we got work ministry success addiction. And this is a addiction to success and work. And this is kind of the addiction that society, they applauds us over. They, they say, this is good. You need to take care of your children. You need to take care of your parents when they get older. That is all true. We need to do that. But this is where I stand this morning. I've made this statement before and I wanna make it again. If I have a church of 3,000 and I have a church of, or, or four or 5,000, if I'm an author of a bestseller book, if I have a multi-million dollar rehab ministry and my family hates me, I'm a failure. I'm gonna say it again. If I'm successful in ministry, and I have numbers all across this congregation, and my own two daughters want nothing to do with me because I've put other things before them, I don't care how big of a congregation I have, I don't, have, I don't care how fat my bank account is, if my family doesn't want anything to do with me, I'm a failure. Listen, God's litmus test, his measure of success is totally different than our own. Listen, Jesus had the biggest church split in John chapter six. And the moment he requires something of them, the moment he says, in order to be my disciple, you got to drink my blood and eat my flesh. And it said they all left him but the 12. It's not about numbers. It's not about how big your bank account is. 
It's not about how many accolades and how many people say your name. Like you're doing it, man. You are doing it in life. If it's not for the right reason, if Jesus is not the center of what you're doing, you might have a work ministry success addiction. Amen? I want to talk about codependency for a little bit, and then we're going to move on to the new stuff this morning. Codependency is something that we all struggle with, especially if we're coming out of any type of addiction because we fall into cross-addiction. You can be addicted to a person just like you can be addicted to a chemical. I want to say it again. You can be addicted to a person just like you can be addicted to a chemical. And what, has, what happens when you are addicted to a person, also called codependency or sex and love addiction, listen, we hear sex and we're like, oh yeah, it's gotta be carnal. No, 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 no. It, it, a lot of times sex is the doorway and inti intimacy justifies the means. So really, it's intimacy we're after. It's we wanna be seen, we wanna be known, we wanna be loved by the person that we spend our time with, the person that unfortunately experiences our cross addiction. I experience it all the time working with men is they get off the drugs and alcohol and then they have a relationship nine months later, 12 months later, and their whole life is invested in that person. And what happens if that relationship fails, if it falters, then they will hit the ground and they will go back to what Jesus has set them free from. Why? It's because they've replaced Jesus with an individual. Let me, let me, let me help diagnose you this morning. Let me give you some symptoms this morning in your own heart if you struggle with codependency. My wife and I have this saying all the time. When, when we unknowingly put the other person on a pedestal or on a throne, what we do and what you do is if you begin to pick apart the person you're living with and you're offended and you're irritated constantly, listen to me, you need to dethrone them. You need to dethrone them. What are you talking about dethrone them? Let me tell you why you're picking them apart. Let me tell you why, that there's nothing they can do that's right. They irritate you, they rub you the wrong way. You might be going through, yes, unforgiveness, offense, that's a part of it, but what happens is, if we enthrone an individual, if we put flesh and blood to where only divine can inhabit, when we deify our partner, when we elevate them to where only God can dwell on the throne, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. They will never measure up to the divine nature of the Father. So when you put flesh where only divine can be, then you're automatically gonna pick them apart. Hello? Did you get it? When we enthrone our relationships, they're not gonna work. Because no one can compare with Jesus' perfection. Yes, you should be able to access Jesus in me. I should be able to access Jesus in you. But if I enthrone you, your flesh is not gonna measure up. Your spouse's flesh is not gonna measure up to where only Jesus can inhabit. We enthrone each other every day. We enthrone our bosses. And when our bosses fail us, then we get offended. Dethrone them. When your pastor offends you and he fails you and you get offended, dethrone him. When your parents offend you, when your parents upset you, dethrone them. Dethrone people. They can't measure up to perfection. 
And that's what, that's what happens with codependency is we invest everything in this relationship. I give you all of my heart. I give you all of my energy. And I deify you. You become a functional idol in my life. Everything I do revolves around you. And then when it doesn't work out, I hit the ground and I go back to what makes me feel better. Why do we use? Why do we look at pornography? Why do we drink? Why do we shop? Why do we spend money? And we're, we're trying to feed this thing in us that can, that can never truly be satisfied with anything this world can offer us. We talked about it last week. We went to Luke 15, where it says that the prodigal, Jesus never calls him the prodigal. I love this. He never labels us by our dysfunction. But he goes to the pig pen and it says, he longed to fill his belly. Say belly. belly. It's translated hollow. Hey, Amanda, do we have that? The, no, the slide, the strongs. Nope. The strongs, do we have the strongs? Belly? Ah, God, it's so small. Can we, sh okay, can you see it? Nope, that's pharmakeia. No, I'm just playing. It is actually, you just, hey, you just ruined the last point of my sermon, Amanda. I'm just playing. Go, I'm just playing, I promise. Go, go to, yeah, col everyone say koloia. You're like, what did you just say? All right, it's a Greek word. Okay, look, watch this. It says cavity, it says abdomen, it says belly, it says womb. It can also be translated as right there, hollow in parentheses. So literally what it says, he was trying to fill this hollow, this empty place inside. Philippians chapter three says, all of us that make Jesus' cross our enemy, meaning that our God is our appetite. Same word, our God is our belly. Our God is our hollow place. So what happens is if we're constantly doing things again and again and again and again for satisfaction, you are trying to fill a hollow place inside of you that God has actually put inside of your spirit. And Solomon taps into this in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And he says, God has put eternity in our hearts. And he's given you a solution. He's, give, he's given you the answer for your life. That you got to stop looking for things on the outside to fill this hollow place. Nothing in this world is going to fill this hollow place. He says the only thing that is going to fill this hollow place is an eternal God with an everlasting purpose. And the Holy Ghost is going to fix you from the inside out. Come on. The world says you got to be fixed from the outside in. Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm going to put a fountain in you, and I'm going to put a solution in you. I call it holy. I call it Holy Spirit. And that's the only thing that's going to satisfy. Man. I lived this for too long. And so have you. And some of you guys are shaking your head. You're not shaking the natural. You're saying, that's not me. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. What are you spending all your money on? What are you spending all your time on? What are you spending all your energy on? Listen, what are you doing to wear yourself out constantly? You have to understand we all have hollow. The answer for hollow is holy. The answer for hollow is holy. Holy Spirit, whole Spirit, the thing that can never, ever, 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 ever fail you. The person that when he comes to inhabit you is not just going to satisfy you, but he says, I'm going to make you a fountain. 
I'm not just gonna fill your cup. I'm gonna make you a fountain, meaning you're gonna have a testimony. I'm not just gonna fill you up where you're hauling inside, but I'm gonna make you a fountain where other people that are hurting and addicted can drink off what I've done in your life. Come on. This is the purpose of testimony. This is the purpose of witness. It's, you don't just go through it for your own testimony so you get the gold star and you're on the platform at the judgment seat of Christ and Jesus is like, here's your gold. No, that's, that's a part of it in the afterlife. But you have a testimony for the people that need to hear your story, what you've been through. There's moms and dads all across this auditorium. They need hope because their prodigal's still running. Come on. There, there's, there's people that are praying for their husband and their spouse to come and they are looking for a testimony that's coming from your holy, from your Holy Spirit experience. And they're gonna say, that's what I need to fill my hollow. Amen? Come on, y'all ready for the new stuff? All right, let's do it. So let's go to Genesis chapter four. Genesis chapter four. Genesis chapter four. We'll start with verse four. This is the chapter, right? after Adam and Eve left the garden because we've all heard it in this house multiple times. The enemy comes in and they were deceived. So they had to leave the garden and it was actually out of mercy. It's because God was trying to protect them because if they would partake of the tree of life in their fallen state, then they would have tasted or they would have been in that fallen state for eternity. So God put a cherubim at the gate. So this is them outside of the garden in a world now that is just now tasting the curse, okay? Verse four, Abel also brought, Cain and Abel, first two sons of Adam and Eve, Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of the fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Say door. Say door. Say gate. He says, and if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Verse 10. And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Your the voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, we're gonna look at verse 24. Hebrews chapter 12, Verse 24, to Jesus, my God, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. 
There's something going on here. If you're a creationist, then you believe the world is about 6,000 years old. And Hebrews was written after the resurrection of Jesus. So the author of Hebrews says that Abel's blood is still crying out 4,000 years later. Genesis 4, Hebrews chapter 12. So what is Abel crying out to God for? And how in the world does this story of Cain and Abel, how does this relate to me? Because your blood, your hollow, also has a voice. Your belly, listen, has a growl. Uh-oh. When you get hungry, what happens? Your belly begins to growl. When you're triggered, you're craving something, it might not growl in the natural like you're hungry for food, but I guarantee it, your trauma has a voice. Genesis chapter four, it, listen to me right now. Genesis chapter four is the first violation between two human beings after a perfect place called the garden. So this violation between two human beings caused blood to cry out to the father. 4,000 years later, the author's saying it's still a problem. You have issues in your past, violations between people that are also causing your heart, your belly to cry out. It has a, it has a growl. This is what I've discovered, watch this. Your belly has a growl, but God has a groan. Your belly has a growl, but your spirit has a groan. Romans 8 says creation groans, it says God groans, and it says you groan. My question is, what in the world is God groaning in you for? Hey, Romans 8 says all of creation is groaning, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Not the son of God, but the sons of God. You and me. So your belly is crying out for relief from the trauma and the pain, but the spirit of God within you is crying out for you to rise up and to say no to that longing within. There is a war going on with you between the growl and between the groan. The question is this morning, which voice are you gonna listen to? Which voice are you gonna listen to? Are you gonna listen to the craving of the flesh? You're gonna listen to the cry of Abel, that violation within you that is crying out for relief, crying out for peace. You're saying, no, my name's not Abel, pastor. No, your name is Abel and Cain because we all are Abel and Cain in the same story because we've all been violated. We all have blood, we have a belly that cries out for relief from the trauma. But what's interesting is, isn't it interesting is that the person that was violated always usually becomes the violator. That's why I said asked two weeks ago, listen, we're not gonna vilify the perpetrators. Meaning, we're, we're, we're not gonna cast judgment and criticism on the people that have hurt us because we've hurt other people probably in our own family. Because of the pain that we've experienced we've become a reservoir and then a stream to other people of that same type of pain. But I wanna to talk to you this morning about this, this, this growl, this voice. See, your pain has a voice. But if you don't recognize it, 
that it's your pain that's crying out, then you're just going to think it's a craving. You're, just, you're going to think, man, I just have a drug problem. I just have a, a porn problem. I have a, I have a food problem. My question is, why are you feeding yourself so much? What are you trying to satisfy within you? What voice are you trying to silence? Because, see, when you feed your natural appetite food, that, that, that growl, it, it begins to subside when it's fed. And when you, when you feed, listen, when you feed your trauma relief through whatever it is is your issue, we all have kryptonite. We all have things in our life that destroy us. I, listen, I don't know yours. I know mine. I know my kryptonite. And something that I've discovered about the enemy is he wants to get through your gates. He wants to get through your doors. And what God, I love Jesus. I love, I love the Father because the way that the Father deals with us is he comes to us before we make a mistake. I ask my school of ministry students all the time. I say, listen, I say, does the Holy Spirit convict you before sin or after sin? They say after sin. I said, no, he convicts you before and after. He persuades you into righteousness. And then if you make a mistake, he, mistake, he, sw- he persuades you back into righteousness. And Genesis 4 is no different. The father comes to Cain before he makes the mistake. And he says, why is your countenance fallen? Why do you look so, why does your faith look wroth? Why do you look downcast? And then Cain talks to him, tells him what's going on. And then what does he do? God says, hey, Cain, listen, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And then Cain goes and he kills his brother. And God tells him, he said, listen, he says, sin lieth at the door. Sin lieth at the door and its desire is for you, but you shall rule over it. A lot of people, they misinterpret this text. They say, God's saying you shall rule over the sin. That's true. But he's saying you shall rule over your doorway. You shall rule over your gateway. Meaning there's holes and there's doorways that go into this hollow and you have to understand what the doorways are into your life. You have to understand that the enemy is looking for any pathway to make you more addicted than you already are. And God said, look, yes, you're going to rule over sin, but you've got to rule over your gate. You've got to rule over your doorways. So what are these doorways? These are the different ways, the pathways that the enemy slithers into your life. Little compromises. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, there's just a little bit of nudity in that movie. It's not, it's not porn. That's a doorway. Well, I, I, man, I just got a problem with whiskey. I can drink beer. It's a doorway. I had a problem with heroin. I mean, it's, it's prescribed by a doctor. It's a doorway. It's a doorway. It's a channel. It's a gateway that God says you got to rule over it. He said you got to rule it. Because you know what he says about elders, those that are mature, spirit, he says they shall rule at the gates. My God, they shall rule at the gates. Fathers in here, you gotta rule your house. You gotta rule your doorways to your house. I'm not talking about in the natural. I'm not talking about the post up like a guard at the door of your house. I'm talking about in a spiritual way. I'm talking that you have to take your place as the head of your home and as the head of your spouse. And if, it, listen, if your family is out of order, it's on you, bro. Two amens on that one. It says that the wife is the glory of the husband. The doxa 
the essence, the reputation, the opinion. So if, if she's broken, head, you're letting it in. There is the exception, yes, I understand that. But nine out of 10 times, it's because husband, you're not fighting for your spouse. You're not guarding the doorway into your house. You're not, you're not guarding the doorway into your marriage. If your kids are having nightmares, anoint them with oil before. I know this is different. I know we don't talk about this stuff anymore. We want a motivational message. I'm giving you a message of truth, how to save your family. If, you're, if your kids are having nightmares, you, man, you pray over them, you anoint them with oil. And you say, the enemy, you can't come through this gateway. This gateway is covered by prayer. This gateway is covered by intercession. This gateway is covered by fasting. We spend so much time binding and loosing. What if we covered the gate before he even came in? Yes. Does that answer your question? <laughs> oh, I bind this. I loose this. I loose this. I bind this. I loose. Jesus is talking about that in the context of relationships between two human beings. Not spiritual warfare. He says, what if he shall bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven? And he's talking about unforgiveness and offense. Meaning if you're bound up on earth in unforgiveness, then heaven is gonna be bound up with forgiveness over your life. Meaning it's not gonna be loosed. I'm not talking about spiritual warfare. We gotta watch our gates. So let's go to James chapter one. Are you with me? James chapter one. James chapter one, and let's look at verse 12. So, you're like, Pastor, what are you talking about this morning? I'm talking about gates, I'm talking about doorways, and then I'm gonna end, hopefully, and where I'm gonna land, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about how addiction, not just drug addiction, but addiction, and the spiritual world are married. Because last week we identified addiction. But what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about how the enemy, how the kingdom of darkness, how the devil comes in and how there is spiritual warfare involved in your fight even right now. It's not just a natural problem. Listen, you can't just throw us a box in on it. <laughs> Come on. Well, I'm just gonna go on a budget. Man, if you've got spiritual warfare in your life, you're gonna be double-minded. Do you know what double-minded means? It means double-spirited. Uh-oh. You got the slide? Do CQOs? Amanda, you got it up there? Look at this. It says, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Look at this, the Greek, two-spirited. If you're unstable, you got spiritual warfare. Well, I don't believe a Christian can have a demon. Yes, they can. Uh-oh. Well, brother, I don't, no, 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 no. The Bible does not speak into possession and oppression. It speaks into being demonized. It speaks into being demonized. And I love what Pastor Tom says. He quotes Jack Hayford. I don't care if it's in you or on you, I'm getting rid of it. <laughs> so watch this, ready? Your level right now, well, I'm a Christian. It doesn't matter. Your level of demonization will be proportional to your level of surrender to Jesus. Your level, Christian, son of God, 
daughter of God, walking with Jesus for 50 years, filled with the Holy Ghost, prophesying word of knowledge over anybody in this room, your level of demonization will be proportionate to your level of surrender to Jesus, of how well you watch your gates. James 1.9, a double-minded man is unstable, double-spirited, dosukios, meaning you got a spirit within you and then you got another spirit that's giving you cues. Well, those are my feelings. I think a lot of times we misinterpret our feelings for another demon's personality. Man, I'm just an angry person. What if you've got a spirit of anger within you? How do I know if it's the devil? The devil torments. He entices. Well, and it, it, like your flesh is impulsive. It just wants what it wants right there. It lusts. But James says that each one is drawn away by his own lust and enticed. Watch this. Your hollow does the lusting. The devil does the enticing. Your hollow is your spirit that needs God and it's crying out like Abel from the ground and it's saying, God, give me relief. But what we do is we come in this world addicted to God and don't know it and we got so many hollow places, we're really looking for God, but we're looking for all these things in the world to satisfy the spirit within. And then if we're not occupying and guarding these doorways and gateways in our life, then we're allowing things to come into our heart, into our life. Well, I don't believe that devil can have access into my heart. Let me show you something. Let's go to Mark chapter four. See, I, to I told you I was gonna offend you this morning. My pastor just told me I had a demon. You probably do. <laughs> we all struggle with spiritual warfare. But this is the cool part. You don't have to go through a 45-minute exorcism. You know what you need to do? You need to get some godly accountability. You need to fill your spirit with the word of God. And you need to watch your gates. And you won't have no devil in your life. But if you open the door and you got compromises, the devil's going to come into your family. He's going to come into your soul. And he's going to influence everything that you do. Well, I just keep going back and forth and back and forth. Matthew 17, the sun that goes into the fire and the water and the fire and the water and the fire and the water. You know what Jesus does? He rebukes the devil. Why? Because that young man was unstable. So if you're constantly going from sin cycle to freedom, from sin cycle to freedom, you got a devil. You're unstable in all your ways. Why? Two spirits. Mark chapter four. Y'all good? Y'all cool? You good? All right, Mark chapter four. This is the parable of the, the sower that's sowing the same seed. Everyone say same seed. Same seed. All right. And he's giving this story of different types of soil. And really, it's diagnosing not just natural soil, but it's diagnosing your heart. Watch, this is so cool. It's diagnosing your heart. So it's showing you what type of heart you have. And a lot of times, God, we, we, we go from literally like wayside heart to like stony heart to cares of this life heart. And then once we're tired of just going through the same thing again and again, we surrender. And guess what? We have good soil that produces good fruit. But watch, where, watch the heart that the devil gets into. 
Mark chapter 4, and let's look at verse 15. The sower sows the word, Jesus, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan comes immediately, watch this, and takes the word that was sown in their hearts. The devil actually came and took the seed out of the heart. Why? My God, because this is the heart that's postured on the wayside. It's living life on the road of compromise. Come on. The heart that's living on the road of compromise is not watching his gates. It's the easy way out. It's the entitled way. It's, I don't want to struggle. I just want to have a carefree life. So I'm positioned on the wayside. I'm positioned on the road that's most traveled. I'm positioned on the doorway and the enemy has access to my heart. The enemy will always have access to your heart if you live your life on the wayside. That's the road most traveled. That's the road that has access. That is all of our hearts in here that we don't take a stand and say, no more. You're not taking my family. You're not taking my life. No more. You're not taking any more of what God wants to give me. So no, I'm not gonna live my life on the wayside. I'm not gonna live my life on the road. I'm not gonna live my life on the compromise because when I live there, the enemy has access to my heart. Do you see this? Your heart. Come and go in your heart. Two spirits. Two spirits. So, what, I mean, what do we do here? Like, like how, how do we guard our heart? Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. Guard your heart. Guard your access. Guard your family. Guard your ministry. Stand up for it. So, how do we do that? How do we do that? Can we tell you? <laughs> Ephesians. Let's go to Ephesians. I don't think I gave you this one, Amanda. I think I'm going to forgot. Just forgive me. It was the morning I had. Almost ruined my phone. Cut, probably cussed out my dog. Shh, you know, didn't cuss out my dog. But I had a tough morning, so I didn't give you this, this scripture. But it's Ephesians chapter 4. Actually, chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and then we're going to look at verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll look at verse 10. And before, listen, before I go over this right here, I, I, I want to give you just some good exegesis. All right, watch this. this. I don't know if you've seen this before, but when I saw this, man, I was like, wow, this is it. This gives me so much understanding of a lot of times the warfare I go through, and hopefully it's going to help you too. So Ephesians chapter 5, if, if, if you want to have a good marriage, read Ephesians chapter 5, right? Just read it again and again and again. So, so Paul goes in, I believe, to the priorities of relationships, right? Like he starts out by talking about imitating God, surrendering to God. Obviously, that's first. That's the beginning of Ephesians 5. And then he goes into marriage, and he talks about how to love your wife as Christ loved the church, and how to die for her, how to lay down your life for her, because she's bone of your bone, and she's flesh of a flesh. She's, she's one with you. And then in chapter 6, the beginning of it, he goes to parents and children. So he goes, watch, your relationship with God, and then your relationship with your spouse, 
And then he goes, the relationship with, with parents and children and children with parents. And then you know what he goes into next? Your relationship with your boss, work. Master, employee, right? So what? look how cool the Bible is. First, he goes, your relationship with God is number one. Your relationship with your spouse is, is number two. Your family is number three, your children. By the way, your spouse is, is more important than your children. Hello. I know culture says, oh my, I, listen, single moms all the time, my children are number one. That's true. But the moment she gets married, husband's number one. Y'all don't like that, do you? Well, Ephesians chapter five, right there. And then it goes into relationship with your children, parents, and then your boss. So, and then watch this. After he goes through all these relationships, guess what he goes into? Put your armor on. <laughs> because your spiritual warfare, because in your, you're in covenant with God, or God's trying to get you in a covenant with him, is going to come in your marriage, it's going to come in your family, and it's going to come at your work. Let, think about your warfare. Think about your struggle right now. It's either in your marriage, it's either in your family, or it's in what you do, yes or no. It's right there. So he goes straight into spiritual warfare. So let's, let's talk about how to guard the gates. Let's talk about how to guard the gates. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. That's the day he tries to get in. That's the day he tries to get in your gate. That's the day he tries to get in your access point. That's the day he tries to travel through your heart, into your heart if you're on the wayside. In the evil day and having done all to stand, stand. Stand, therefore, having guarded your, girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which we will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. I'm going to stop right there. This is how the enemy gets in your life, just with a thought. And if you're not there guarding your door with your shield saying, nope, not believing that lie, not believing that lie about myself, not believing that lie about my children, not believing that lie about my boss, not believing that lie about my pastor, not believing that lie about my spouse. No, I'm standing in my gateway. I'm standing in my doorway and you can't get in because the enemy, listen, you, you think he's gonna manifest in front of you? First of all, I'm just gonna say it. I know, Pastor Tom, you can correct me later for this if I'm wrong, okay, seriously. But if John the Revelator fell down in Revelation chapter 12 that walked with Jesus for three and a half years of a lesser archangel and worshiped him. If the devil himself, if you didn't have the Holy Ghost giving you dis the discernment between spirits, you'd fall down and worship him too. He's an angel of light. He masquerades himself as an angel of light. If you don't have Holy Ghost inside of you to give you discernment, you'll fall down and worship him because he's beautiful. The Bible says he was created perfect in all thy ways until iniquity of all was found in him. If John walked with Jesus for three and a half years in the flesh, wrote the revelation of Jesus Christ, wrote the revelation of Jesus Christ, if he's fallen down worshiping in angels, 
Just throwing that out there. Okay, moving on, moving on, moving on. How do we overcome? Stand. Guard your mind. Guard your heart. Listen, the enemy's not just going to come and have a conversation with you in the natural. He's going to come and he's going to throw a thought in your mind. And he's going to watch you to see if it implants in your soul and your behavior begins to change. And he is a master at human behavior. And you're like, well, the, no, the devil can't read my thoughts, brother. Yeah, he can if he gives them to you. <laughs> the brother can't, no, the devil can't. If he gives you the thought and he watches you play it out, he knows exactly what you're thinking because it's from him. And that's what he says. He says, you're supposed to extinguish the fiery darts of the wicked one. Listen, why do you think it's on fire? Because it's a word. And James says, we just went there, that look, the words of your tongue are set on fire by hell itself. So the devil, yes, can speak through people. He can speak through your relationships, your marriage, your children, your boss. But it's up to you to say, I wrestle not against flesh and blood. I don't look what's in front of me. I look what's behind you. I look at the source of that word coming out of your mouth. And I'm going to guard my heart. I'm going to guard my life and not let that come in because it's a fiery dart. It means if it's implanted, your whole world is set on fire. And all, all, all the enemy has to do is watch you burn. Just watch you burn. That's how he can read your mind. If he has access to your heart, if you're on the wayside, and then he gives you the thoughts, yes, he can read a Christian's mind if he gives you the thoughts. I don't know where we come up with this stuff. We just come up with it. Well, brother, it's good theology. No, it's not. That's good theology. That's the word of God. We have to learn how to fight in here. Listen, you can't, listen we have to learn how to fight in here. We have to learn truth. Listen, the enemy, the, the enemy is so after marriages right now, it's not even funny. I'm, I'll be honest with you. I could, I, could, I could fill my schedule with marriage counseling every week. You can ask my partner. So what's going on? Ephesians 5 and 6. Marriage first, then your family, then your work. He wants all of them. And if he can give you thoughts and get those through your doorway, and you don't stand guard, he's going to get you. He's going he's, he, he's to get into our life. So, so we have this, we, we have this growl, and the enemy knows the voice of our growl. He, he, he knows your issue. He's, he's a master at human nature, but you have a groan. So, I mean, how do you discern the difference? What do you, what do, you do when the adversary is not just positioned on the wayside, but he's present in your double-mindedness? He's present in your double and I'm in this. What do, you, what do you do besides stand? What do you do besides stand in the doorway of your family? Stand away on the doorway of your heart. How do you overcome? How do you become a conqueror? How? How? Number one. Number one. Number one. You have to know your identity as a son or daughter of God and know that greater is he that's within you than he that's within the world. Listen, the enemy picks a dirty fight. It don't matter. When you're in your flesh away from God, he will destroy your life. But if you have the spirit of God within your life and, and, you're, and you're looking and you're guarding your heart, listen, he's not even a worthy opponent. 
The Holy Spirit is inside of your life and inside of your heart to lead you into all truth, to show you what is to come. My spiritual father used to lay his, his hands on my head. And he said, I, I pray the son is so sensitive to your spirit that he senses disaster before it strikes. This is how we have to live. Paul says again in Ephesians, he says, look, do not walk uncircumspectly, but walk circumspectly. He says, walk in wisdom. Don't just wait for the fight to come to your house, but wage warfare already by standing in the gates and saying, enemy, this is my house. This is my children. This is my ministry. This is my church. No more. So you question, you ask, you say, well, well I, don't, I don't know how my life got this bad. I do. Open doors. I don't, I don't know why I keep going back. Open doors. Listen, I, 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 I have learned that if I allow the enemy to enter any place in my life, then it is going to take me a lot farther than I want to go. And usually it takes a crisis to get my attention. Don't wait for a crisis to get your attention. Don't wait until you're so broken, you're so lost, your marriage is on the rocks, you've lost your business, you're addicted and you can't get out, your body is physically addicted, you've spent all your money. Don't wait for that to happen. Don't wait for the enemy to come in and for you to have so much warfare in your life, you're so full of different personalities that are not your own, and then you're sitting here, and then you're like, you're at rock bottom. Rock bottom is good, but we don't, we don't, you know you don't have to taste rock bottom if you stand in your doorway? If you stand in your gates, Abel's blood is constantly crying out for relief. You have Abel's blood in you. It's constantly crying out for relief. But you have to understand and know the difference between the growl and the groan. There's a war going on within you, between your belly and between your spirit. There's, there's a war going on in this, in this house for the gates. There's a war going on in this county for the gates. Oh, bro, this is apostolic. There's a war going on in our state for the gates. There's a war going on in our government and our nation for the gates. But you know what we've done? We've occupied the gates of the unborn. We're, we, are, we are learning to occupy gates. We are learning to occupy gates, but before it starts in the, the, nat the national arena, guess where it's got to start? It's got to start in your home. Did you know our country, our nation, is always going to be a reflection of the health of the church? And did you know the health of the church is always going to be a reflection of the health of the family? And fathers, did you know the health of your family is gonna be a reflection of the health of your relationship with God. I can solve the world problems with a father in every home. Every world problem, no more abortion, no more hunger, come on. No more pain, no more root issues, no more trauma. Yes, there's going to be mistakes and stuff, but it's not gonna look like it looks now. It starts with guarding our gates. Can you guys stand up? Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast, 
or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.